holes in one of the island's caves, and the fact that the top forty feet of the square pit was braced with rough-hewn log box. The cannonballs had long since been lost and were now considered a myth, but there was no denying the reality of the timberworks ringing the mysterious hole in the rocky earth. My shoes got wet, Jimmy complained. Nick swiftly rounded on his youngest brother and said, Damn it, Jimmy, I told you already, if I heard one complaint out of you, I'd make you stay with the boat. I wasn't complaining, the boy said, trying to keep from sniveling. I was just saying, is all. He shook a few drops from his wet foot to show it wasn't a problem. Nick shot him a stern look, his blue eyes glacial, and turned his attention back to the job at hand. Pine Island was shaped like a Valentine's Day heart that rose out of the cold Pacific. The only beach lies where the two upper lobes come together. The rest of the islet was ringed with cliffs as insurmountable as castle walls, or was protected by submerged rocks strung like beads that could tear out the bottom of even the sturdiest craft. Only a handful of animals called the island home, squirrels and mice mostly, who had been marooned there during storms, and seabirds that used the tall pines to rest and search for prey amid the waves. A single road bisected the island, having been laboriously hacked twenty years before by another generation of Ronish men, who had made an assault on the island using gasoline-powered pumps to drain the pit, only to see their efforts fail. No matter how many pumps they ran or how much water they sucked from the depths, the pit would continuously refill. An exhaustive search for the subterranean passage connecting the pit to the sea turned up nothing. There was talk of building a coffer dam around the mouth of the bay closest to the pit, the thinking being that there was no other logical choice for the conduit, but the men decided the effort was too much and gave up. Now it was Nick and his brother's turn, and he had deduced something his uncles and father had not. At the time Pierre Devereux had excavated the pit to hide his treasure, the only pump available to him would have been his ship's hand-operated bilge pump. Because of its inefficiency, there was no way the pirates could have drained the pit with their equipment when three ten-horse pumps couldn't. The answer to how the pit worked lay somewhere else. Nick knew from the stories his uncles told that they had made their assault during the height of summer, and when he consulted an old almanac, he saw the men had been working during a period of particularly high low tides. He knew that, to be successful, he and his brothers would have to try to reach the bottom at the same time of year Devereux had dug the pit, when the tides were at their very lowest, and this year that fell at a little past two o'clock on December the 7th. The older brothers had been planning their attempt at cracking the pit since early summer. By doing odd jobs for anyone who'd hire them, they'd scrape together money to buy equipment, notably a two-stroke gasoline-powered pump, the rope, and tin miner's helmets with battery-powered lights. They'd practiced with the rope and a laden bucket so their arms and shoulders could work tirelessly for hours. They'd even devised goggles that would let them see underwater if necessary. Jimmy was only along because he had overheard them talking about it all and had threatened to tell their parents if he wasn't included. There was a sudden commotion off to their right, an explosion of birds winging into the bright sky. Behind them, Amelia, their golden retriever, came bounding out of the tree line, barking wildly with her tail swinging like the devil's own metronome. 
She chased after one gull that flew close to the ground and then halted, dumbfounded, when the bird shot into the air. Her tongue lolled, and a string of saliva drizzled from her black gums. Amelia, come, Jimmy cried in his falsetto, and the dog dashed to his side, nearly bowling him over in her excitement. Shrimp, take these, Nick said, handing Jimmy the mining helmets and their satchels of heavy lead batteries. The pump was the heaviest piece of gear, and Nick had devised a sling with two carrying poles like he'd seen on Saturday matinee cereals when natives carried the movie's hero back to their camp. The poles were lengths of timber taken from a construction site, and the four older boys hoisted them on their shoulders and lifted the engine from the rowboat. It swung and then steadied, and they started the first mile-long trek across the aisle. It took 45 minutes to haul all of their equipment across the island.